My name is Dr. Ian Storch. I'm a board-certified gastroenterologist and osteopathic physician, and you are listening to DO or Do Not. If you're interested in joining our team or have suggestions or comments, please contact us at doordonotpodcast.com. Share our link with your friends and like us on Apple Podcasts, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We hope you enjoy this episode. Today, we are excited to hear from Dr. Sadia Riaz. Dr. Riaz is a board-certified hematologist-oncologist. This specialty deals with disorders of the blood, as well as various tumors and cancers. Training is intensive, with three years of internal medicine residency, followed by three years of fellowship. Dr. Riaz started her career in an accelerated seven-year program at NYITCOM, followed by postdoctorate training at a large academic institution. She then went on to private practice, followed by a decade working in academics with oncology and transplants, and finally transitioning back to private practice. In this episode, Dr. Riaz discusses her journey and the challenges she's faced as a Muslim female in medicine today. She also draws on her own experiences and shares her advice for women who are seeking careers in similarly competitive subspecialties of medicine. Okay, my name is Hadi Tariq. I'm a first-year medical student at the Alabama College of Osteopathic Medicine. I am joined today by Dr. Sadia Riaz, a board-certified hematologist-oncologist from New York. Thank you for being with us today. Of course, I'm excited. So let's start off with you telling us about what a typical day looks like for you. A typical day can vary could be based on if I have to do hospital rounds or if I'm just going straight to the office. I recently joined a private practice, so my life has kind of changed in the last six months. Slightly different, but my biggest thing is that I enjoy my mornings. And I think for everyone, find the time of the day that kind of centers you. So in the morning, no matter how late I'm going to get, I'm going to sit there and I'm going to read the news. I'm going to watch a Netflix episode of something I'm doing. I don't care how long it takes me. Calm and relax. And then I start my journey to work. I get to the office and then my day kind of spirals because everyone's going to see it's uh, it's unpredictable no matter what fields you choose. And I take every moment as it comes. So I guess the rest of my day kind of, I touch base with my nurse. I make sure emergencies are taken care of right away. I start patient care. And very fluid. A great routine. Yeah, I mean, until I come home and then I'm like, oh, I got a million things to do. And that's why the morning is super important to me because it's the only time where you're not like being bombarded by a million things. It's hard to, you know, put a break on things. So at the end, there's still people calling you between the hospital, the office, patients, family, kids, I mean, name it. So I can imagine it's a very busy day. Yeah. So how did you become interested in medicine and how did you decide you wanted to be a doctor? I chose medicine, I think, pretty early on in my life. When I was young, I just, in a brown family, there, there's only really a couple of fields your parents are going to say, hey, stability, you have to be in the medical profession. I love teaching too, but I think I always wanted to pick a field that kind of was caring for for people. So that, I think that's why I gravitated to medicine. And when you do well in school, everyone's like, be a doctor, be a doctor. So yes, that is a very relatable coming from a Brown family. 
So how did you learn about osteopathic medicine and how did you end up choosing the school you ended up going to? So I don't know if it was so much learning about osteopathic medicine. It happened to be that the school was 15 minutes from my home. And so when I started looking, when I was in high school, you know, my family was pretty strict at that time. You know, they've gotten much better. So they're, they're not the same. But at that time, I, my dad was like, you're not going away. I don't care where you're going. You're going to commute. So I found this program and it ended up being a seven-year program. So that's why I chose NYIT. And I knew I wanted to do medicine. And it was just like a no-brainer. Pick something that goes straight into med school because, you know, everybody's super stressed about getting into med school. So I figured that would kill two birds with one stone. Yeah, that was going to be my follow-up is how did you choose a dual degree program? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of pros, right? The big one is not worrying about getting in. You already have a path centered for you. But in hindsight, after you're done, you realize that the extra year of college is important. I think maturity is is not something that just comes to you. It does take time. And so by the time you start medical school and you start residency, you're just not as mature as the other students. And so I think perhaps it would have served me better to have gone to a conventional college, maybe experience other type of courses like anthropology. You know, there's so many things that you don't realize because when you do a seven-year program, it's so go, go, go. And you're just not as well-rounded. And you'll see later on in life, being well-rounded just helps you identify and relate to patients a lot better. So I think you don't realize it at the point. I mean, they're pros, like we said. I mean, it's a nice program that helps lead you to be prepared for the science part, but maybe not so much the emotional aspect. So That's a great point. I don't think people hear about the other side of a dual degree program as much. So yeah, I mean, you, you're, just, you're just thrown to grow up so quickly and I don't know. So how was your experience in college and then in medical school? Did you get involved in any extracurriculars, research, anything like that? So I think because it's so quick, you don't, I honestly can't remember with good good knowledge. I'll tell you, it was so fast. I definitely remember I have such good friends because you go through a program and it's usually a small program of people that are going through this many years. So you develop very strong friendships that last to this day. And you experience things. Seven years you grow up a lot. And so, I mean, I did things like fashion shows or date auctions. Who knows? I can't even remember when, when I thought of it. Like, I don't know if I have anything positive. I'm sure high school doing all these extracurriculars make you, make you more rounded. But when you do a seven-year program, you're so busy just with the coursework that the other stuff is like just fun and games, I think. So, well, it's good to let off steam when you can in med school. It is yeah. hard enough as it is. I know. You're just starting. It's going to get much more fun. When you were transitioning from medical school to training and residency, how did you choose between an institution that was large or small or public or private? And what would you consider? So I chose a big institution more because it had a very good reputation around us. And, and I had wanted access to different subspecialties. So I had known I, I had wanted to do medicine. I wanted to try to experience all different types of the medical field. And then I wasn't certain about my subspecialty at that point. So everyone knows when you go into a program, you want to have, you, you need to like kind of showcase yourself, especially as an osteopathic student, 
you need to have like exposure to people that will vouch for you, kind of recommend you. So that's why I chose a bigger program. My sister, my little sister is a, is an osteopathic physician too. She went to Nikon. She did family practice. She went to a smaller institution. But it, so I think if you desire like a field that may be less competitive, I think a, and it's nice to be in a smaller hospital. You get a lot more comfort. There are pros and cons with either. So then moving on to the residency that you did end up doing, what was your experience like in it? Did you feel like you had a ex- different experience as a DO compared to your MD counterparts? Definitely. I think I had signed at that point, you could sign out of the match. So thankfully, my attending when I did my sub internship really loved me. I, I had really worked hard and I got to know the chief residents and they ended up vouching. So they, they signed me out of the match, the program director. And so I always felt like I had to work harder to prove myself sometimes. Definitely at that point, there was a lot of stigma. This is going on I mean, how many years? Almost 20 years ago. So people still, they definitely were like, what's a DO? And and I would see the attending pimp me more than my friends. So, yeah. So, you know, it, it was fine. Everyone ended up you know, being super helpful. And it was, it was a good program, but I definitely think I did have to work a little bit harder. Did you notice any difference in terms of how the patient saw you as a DO? Yeah, still to this day, I'll have patients say like, what's a DO? What makes you different? But I think patients, I think once they get past when you explain that you are a medical, you know, a medical doctor, you have the same credentials, they and you and they're able to understand and respect you, it doesn't matter. So I think most people and, and more people are more informed nowadays. You know, I don't think as much. I mean, I had to explain myself a lot more, but here it's like a rare day, but it still happens. So, so with your training as a DO and you had a different experience in residency, do you feel like you had like one proud moment throughout your education and training that helped you stand out as a physician? Mm, I don't know if there's one proud moment. I think I was I think I was proud of all my training. I think I, 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 you know, represented myself well and our field very well. And I think it only helped future generations get into the program. I think after me, I was probably one of the first people that were in my fellowship that was a deal. And I think it was easier to accept more fellows after me. So, so I think it was accumulation of everything, but not necessarily, I can't, recall one thing at this moment. I'm sure afterwards I'll like, oh, I should have said that, but not right now. <laughs> no worries. So when you graduated out of medical school, you became a hospitalist. How did you choose that field? And then how did you choose to go back into fellowship after that? So that kind of shows me because unfortunately, when I went to apply for Hemonc, it was one of those years where everyone's applying. So I think there were 10 people in my class applying. And so in that respect, I, I really didn't get into any program my first time applying. So I had had to have a traditional transitional year in between. I mean, I, I was supposed to, and then I think the numbers didn't work out the right way, so I never got in. And the hospitalist was great. I think actually, in the end, it worked out to be the best thing for me because I grew so much. I was able to, I took care of patients. I made decisions. I, I mean... Going into fellowship after doing the hospitalist, I think it made me so much more competent and able to to focus on Hemonc and not worry about that other aspect of caring for patients. So it was a good year for me. In the end, 
things work out the way they're supposed to work out. So they tend to do that. (laughs) What made you decide to take the full-time position at the hospital when you graduated? So actually I had left for two years. I went to Brooklyn and I practiced at another site for, for a couple of years. And then I ended up missing my, my, my old colleagues and friends. And so I called and I was like, I need to come back. I can't, I miss you guys too much. So, you know, I, I wanted to see what was different first. So I had left and it was definitely a great experience too, in a different way. But then I came back because doing residency and fellowship in the same place you grow, you, you just gain so many contacts and connections. And then, so you end up wanting to come back to, to where you grow up. It's a, it's just, I think a natural instinct to want to stay. So a lot of people will stay where they train, you'll see. And then you may, you may decide otherwise, but, but I, I, I enjoyed, I came back and now I left again. So I'm sure I'll come back some other days. Well, that's a perfect segue to my next question is how you recently transitioned to private practice. So what made you make that transition? Well, I, I did 10, 10 years in an academic program where I enjoyed a lot. I, I loved being around fellows, residents, students. It was enjoyable. I love making hospital rounds, but I think life hits you and it becomes certain decisions make you change certain, I guess, personal decisions make you change to, to want to kind of focus more on your life. And you realize at some point that your job is not your life and it, it should be an additive. And so that was part of my realization. And so I made a life change and so far so good. It's been about a little over six months and I'm enjoying it. And I joined a very nice private practice, which is almost very difficult to have in oncology and, and it's been well. Would you say the transition was smooth? Yeah, very smooth. I think, you know, I'm, I'm older doing it. So, you know, I haven't left on good terms and I'm I'm a lot more confident and competent with my decision-making. So I think it, it, it's hard to, to go into a, uh, into like practice at any age. But when you're first coming out, it's very difficult. You'll see like every transition that first year is always the hardest. The first intern year, very difficult. Becoming a resident, very difficult. Just I think once you know how to make decisions, every it just gets easier. So now we're going to transition to a slightly different topic. So obviously you're a physician, you're a woman of color, you're also a Muslim woman of color. Do you feel as though your identity has exposed you to any unique challenges throughout your career? And if so, how did you overcome them? Well, I think people are still experiencing this to this day. I think definitely being a woman and definitely being a minority woman is without question difficult I don't care that, you know, they say 50% of physicians are women and it's a lot more abundant that there are women of color. It's still, there is a stigma. You think you're in equal footing and I don't think that's the case. I had to work the same way like everyone. You work twice as hard to prove yourself. And sometimes people don't listen to you or take you as seriously as they may take someone else, even though you may be like twice as smart and more competent. But, you know, so I think that has been a very big realization because you don't think that when you're young, you just think that if you're capable and you have the qualifications, you're going to be just as good to get it, but it's not the case. So, so I definitely think that has been an eye-opening experience through life. 
Yeah, that's unfortunately still the case. I think many pre-med and medical students don't think you're going to face more challenges beyond just getting into medical school and going through it. But that is something that many of us are curious about. Yeah, completely. You think it's uh, everyone always says, oh, we'll get better. I'll get better. It, it just gets different. And you have to learn how to manage those differences and kind of adapt. And, and the realization is hard, though, that you, 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 you know, you hope one day that everyone will be seen on equal footing, but it's hard. There are things that women have to do that men don't do. And I don't know when that bias is going to ever kind of completely resolve. So. Right. So have you felt like having an ethnic name, a Muslim sounding name has ever been a barrier for you or something that you might have been stereotyped for? No, I think my name never really. I don't think I, I think I had one patient that may have said I really wanted a white old man. I didn't want I don't want to be seen by you. And then I won him over and he was totally would never trust anybody else but me. So I guess there are, you know, instances, but most times I think people People are more understanding than not. I don't think mm-hmm. I felt that. We always win them over in the end, right? Right. It's hard not to. It's like <laughs> people like to be nurtured and women have that ability to, to kind of to gain that trust of a patient. So, Next question is something that you mentioned before. Have you ever felt like you struggled with balancing your responsibilities as a woman and being a physician, a lot of women who are pre-med and medical students feel like we can't do both. I will tell you, and and it's great that now we have all these, uh, these ways to communicate because like no one talked about this before. And, and all you do is you're just type A, you have to get through and you have to be the best. You have to get to your next step. You have to get to the best residency, get to the best fellowship, become the do well on your, your exams. And, but in the end, your life takes a second back. You, you end up not taking it as seriously. And so for me, I didn't settle down with anyone. I got married at the age of 39 and I, I I don't know if I had told you, but I, you know, I'm going through IVF. I never even thought about it before, you know, like you don't even think because you're just going and just trying to be the best. And then time just flies away. And I think there should be more focus and emphasis right from residency level to explain like, hey, these are real things and it shouldn't be a stigma. You should freeze your eggs. There should be more openness about it. And, you know, I think, you know, and, and there's no right or wrong how to balance. You, you're going to hopefully find your pathway at whatever time is right. But I think making sure that people help you take time to look at other parts of your life and, and remember that, that time is, you know, time passes fast. So looking back, would you do anything differently or what advice would you have for your past self regarding this? I guess definitely I would have frozen my eggs. I wouldn't have done that. That's that question. I, I don't know. I think I would have just said to slow down. I think I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm still to the States. Go, go, go. Try to do a million things in, in like a short amount of time and, and, you know, focus. And, you know, unfortunately I had a tragedy in my life a couple of years ago and it definitely has changed me. I'm, I don't like when I sit down, I used to just not be present. Like if I would go, I, I'm thinking about a million different things. Did I, 
do this with that patient? Did I remember to do this? Did I do that? And then I could be talking to someone, but really I'm thinking a million different things. Now I don't need, I I don't care. I put it aside. If I'm with you, I focus because that's time you can't get away. You can't get back again. So for people, I would say, you know, I would, I would have changed that about me. I would have just said, stay, stay focused and, and, and just stay with, you know, present in the time. So that transitions into the next question is how you obtain a work-life balance. And if you are having any hobbies outside of your career. Yeah, it's hard. I think I have a very great uh, family of a great husband. He, him and my family, I mean, I don't know if there's ever a good balance of work-life balance. I mean, I bring my, I'm, you know, we work at all the times. Like you'll see a lot of fields are like this, but oncologists, hematologists, we're working all the time. There's not, it's not uncommon to bring my laptop and I'm with my family and we're watching a movie and I'm still on the laptop doing stuff while I'm watching the movie. So, so you just try to incorporate it and then, you know, make sure you set time apart to enjoy your family. And then what do I like to do? I guess. I like it's that's a hard one. I mean, it's it's I, I love jigsaw puzzles. And since I'm married, I've learned my Martha Stewart type qualities. I'm very good at decor, throwing parties. I'm like excellent at uh at themes and stuff like that. Now I could <laughs> like something that was never like me. I used to be like a city girl out every night, and now I'm, I'm a homebody. So. <laughs> You mentioned your spouse being supportive of you. Um, have you, can you just elaborate more on how that has helped you as a physician? Yeah. I mean, just having that, that person, you know, I, I think the one nice thing about marrying someone a little late, you're, you just know yourself. So he was older, I was older. So we, we just are like best friends and he, he totally gets me and he just takes care of me. He knows like my faults and, you know, I'm not very you know, very uh, put together about like bills, forget bills. You know, I can't, I can't do a million things. You could see, I can't deal with my emails, this and that. He'll just take care of everything for me. So he's, he's just so efficient and I'm like, so not. <laughs> so, so and he's, he's, a, he's actually a retired New York city detective, first grade detective. So he's like completely, totally different than anything in medicine. And it's great. We just, we just uh, work well. So. Sometimes people prefer to be with someone who's not in medicine. So you have a bit of a break. Yeah, no, it it was a great decision. I mean, I had obviously a lot of, a lot, most of my friends are all physicians. So you end up just, your, your social life becomes all about medicine too. And, you know, sometimes it's nice to have somebody who you're like, no, I don't ever want to talk about medicine anymore. A slightly different question now. Did you take loans for medical school and did finances affect your choice of residency and specialty? So I did take loans. You know, I came from, you know, uh, a middle class working family. So I still am paying my loans because I think it's just part of life. And so, yeah, I think I had I had the hindsight, I probably would have picked a state school. I think in some ways, I think I would have change, but you know, I, I don't think it chose, I don't think it determined my decision for subspecialty. I didn't pick it because I thought it was going to make more money. I, I wanted to do it because I love the field, but I definitely think if I had go, gone back, I would have picked up because I think education is what you make of it. A lot of it is self-learned. So you can go to the best school and it's great. Your degree is 
going to mean something, but, but also a lot of it is what you make of it and coming out with no loans is definitely a nice feeling, but loans are not a big deal. I mean, it, it'll get paid. So that shouldn't determine what you want to do. It should be based on what you want, because in the end you have to live your life, your career. So do you feel like your path would have been any easier or better if you had gotten an MD versus a DO? It probably would have been a little easier in the beginning. I think had I been an allopathic physician, I think, you know, it does open some doors, but then it's also competitive in different ways too. So, I, I mean, I don't regret my decision. I have amazing friends that are all like so accomplished that went to osteopathic schools. And I think this was the path it was meant, but probably, you know, in some cases getting certain positions would have been easier. Maybe people would have had a different view of me and maybe had elected me to certain positions that I had wanted and maybe it didn't go my way. I don't know. It was not there. And so the final question I have for you is what was the best piece of advice you got throughout your education could be college, med school, residency that you always think of and you would pass down to other students. So there's two things I I usually tell when I'm around any, any of my fellows or residents, I always say, don't lie. Don't, don't try to make up something. If you don't know something, whether it be to your attending, your your patient, your patient's family, you should never try to make up uh, an answer if you don't know it. I think people respect you more if you say like, I don't know, I will look it up and let you know what it is. I still say it to the patients to stay. If they ask me a question, be like, I don't know, honestly, but I, I can definitely find that out for you. Because I think if you lie and they catch you, it takes your credence away from, you know, and I think you don't want to lose your reputation because you just say something that you don't know. And then the other thing I would say, the other piece of advice is just read and learn more and not just medicine. Life is more than medicine. And, and believe it or not, it, it, it encompasses that when you want to relate to your patients and you want to know more about them and take care of them. Well, you have to know these other things. You have to know other parts of the world, not just medicine. So I think always learn, read and and that's a big thing. Anytime you see a person and you are interested, sit down, take that five minutes to read about it. It's okay. Five minutes is not going to, you're not going to lose the day if you, if you do that. So, Well, that is all the questions I have for you. Thank you so much for taking time to answer them. Of course. It was my pleasure. This concludes our episode of Do or Do Not. Send all inquiries, comments, suggestions, and even let us know if there's someone you want us to interview to do or do not podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at do or do not podcast for updates. If you enjoyed our podcast, please share it with your classmates and administration. We have plenty of more interviews lined up and we're excited to share them with you. This is Tian Yu Shea. Thank you guys so much for listening to Do or Do Not.